Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Ruth Kelly Waskett. Did I pronounce that correctly, Waskett? Yes, you did. Well done. Okay, good, good. She is Ruth is a lighting consultant with a background in engineering, lighting design, and academia. She's passionate about the role of daylight and sunlight in bringing buildings to life and the impact of daylight exposure on health and well-being of building occupants. She started out as a building services engineer before specializing in lighting. She is the president of, of the Society of Light and Lighting, the SLL, a part of the Chartered Institution of Building Services Engineers, the CIBSE. She led the revision of the SSL Daylighting Design Guide in 2014 and is a regular contributor to various CIBSE and SLL guidance documents. She is also a visiting lecturer at Bartlett School, UCL, with involvement in the MSC in lighting, light and lighting, and the, I guess that's engineering and architectural engineering. But before we get there, Greg, we got to talk about light efficient design. That's LED-LLC.com, brother. What do they got? All right, and you're going to see it on screen here, but the LBI Linear Transformer is one light with unlimited possibilities. It's available in two foot, three foot, and four foot lengths. It's both flex color and flex lumen wattage. So you can change your color, you can change your lumens. Zero to 10 volt dimmable, easily connectable end to end. So you wire in one end, you can connect them together and run a continuous row. It can be used as a retrofit kit and troffer strip, fixtures, wraps, vapor tights, high bays, or as a new fixture, cove lighting, stairwells, continuous run ambient, you name it, it does it all. Check it out. You know what I love about light efficient design? That's led-llc.com. They're so creative, Greg. You know, if you're a lighting distributor, they're not copycats. They're always coming out with new hot stuff that you should check out, especially when your solution's focused, like Greg and I are a nail distributor trying to help out your clients. You got to go to led-llc.com. Ask for Doug Nebelsberger. He's the man down there. Doug's phone's going to blow up now, Greg. And of course, Light Efficient Design is a proud member of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's right. Greg and I are both longtime members, both served on the board. What about you? You're going to support your industry. That's right. If you're an electrical lighting, electrical, lighting heavy electrical distributor or a lighting distributor, this is your association. So join us, naild.org, baby. What's happening, Ruth? Well, I don't know. Where, where do you want to start? I just moved house, so I'm still a bit disorientated. But apart from that, I'm looking forward to talking about lighting. Well, it's always fun. Uh, Greg, why don't you fire it up here? You, you do a little Let's more start off with me. Yeah, so you have, um, we heard your background, you're a little bit about your bio, but what do you do on a day-to-day basis? What's your company? What, what are you guys all about? So I work for a company called Horley, uh, Horley LLP, to be um, precise. And we're a multidisciplinary engineering consultancy, and we mainly operate in the UK. But funnily enough, um, just a few months ago, we became part of Tetratech, who are um, mainly based in the US um, and and in a very international organization. Um, And we're now part of uh, what's called the Tetratech High Performance Building Group, which comprises Horley, Glumac, Cosentini and NDY. So the idea is that we've now kind of filled in the, the global puzzle in terms of coverage internationally. So I'm really excited about um, hopefully getting to work on more projects outside of the UK, um, particularly in North America. Uh, you know, it's something that I've really, I've wanted to do more of because I think obviously the science is the same regardless of where you go, but there are lots of things that are different um, culturally and in terms of climate from a daylight point of view, that's really interesting. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. Why is uh, so it that they, it, uh, yeah? Sorry, why, sorry. why is it that they were interested in in uh, acquiring you guys? Why did Tetra Tech get involved? So my understanding, it's it's kind of I touched on it, um, but basically they they'd already acquired um, NDY, Cosentini, and Glumac. Each of those have been part of Tetra Tech for a few years, varying lengths. And um, I think there was a bit of a gap in the European sort of region um, because those organizations have really good coverage for um, East and West Coast, North America and um, Southeast Asia, Australasia, but not really so much Europe. So um, 
they uh, that's my understanding is that you know strategically it was important but but honestly um i've been told and i and i believe that they they saw that horley was a really successful organization and they wanted that to be part of the high performance buildings group in particular um so yeah it's it's really good and and we're so far enjoying just getting to know our new kind of brother and sister organizations um and and hopefully you know getting some cross pollination going in terms of sharing ideas um and joining forces so it's it's really good so we spoke to um uh, a fellow at underwriters laboratory the UL and they're mm -hmm. doing their they're coming up with a certification called marketing verification okay so they're okay. going to verify people's marketing claims i'm looking at the tetra tech website there's a lot of marketing claims that are just swinging by here and i'm reading mm. them and mm. I, my, you know, I know that daylight good, right? So if we, the more daylight we get into a building, just the better off. Like that's where there's massive gains for, for human health, wellness, people's experience. How, you know, in Sweden, it's, it, everybody has to have a view to the, of the outside in all new buildings. So anywhere a desk is, and so we know that daylight is very important. But um, when we're using technology, and this is what I asked the UL fellow about. It's very easy to make claims where the negative is gone, right? So our, you know, you have different, the well building standards, another one of these. Okay, so you say, our light source does not flicker. Our light source reduces the blue wave intensity at certain times so that you don't have that. So when you're removing the negative, it's very easy to verify. When we start to get into these positive claims about things, mm. I find that we're in a more of a dicey situation because you're, you're now you have to then measure and verify the claim post installation. And so there's a lot mm. of things swinging by here. You're, you're definitely Tetra tech seems like an integrated group. They do a lot of different things with buildings. Yes. How, yeah, that's correct. How do you tackle that negative versus positive? Okay, so we removed the negative. Now we're actually doing things that are positive. How do we handle that? So, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And I, I'd love to know more about the, um, the UL um, plan for uh, a system to verify marketing claims because, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff out there in the lighting mm. world in particular. Um, I think the key you touched on it when you said, you know, it, it needs post occupancy evaluation and we don't do enough of that. And it's mm -hmm. a great source of, um, you know, I, I'm not happy about it. I would like clients to be able to engage us so that we're still there when the building is built so that we can go in and actually understand what we've designed, what the impact of that is on the people in the building. It's so important for us. I know that there are there's moves in the industry at large so it's not just lighting but in general when it comes to hvac and building services there are moves to um to do more post occupancy evaluation and also to measure the performance of of the equipment as well so it's not mm -hmm. just about the impact directly on humans but the carbon footprint as it were so measuring the performance of the equipment to see if it actually does what it was designed to do so i'd love to see that happening more um i think that with some of it though it's probably almost impossible to ever verify so you know we can say things based on people's testimony they 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 preferred it they liked it they found that they had more customers coming through the door or whatever the building type is relevant um you don't you don't ever you know you you can't say that that's scientific it's based on mm -hmm. testimony and of course we hear what we want to hear so we will seek out the people that we know like what we've done to hear mm -hmm. what they have to say about yeah, it confirmation so, bias for sure yeah absolutely yeah so it's interesting because um this is why i talk about um negative versus positive so removing a negative is measurable instantaneously like you can say, yes, the flicker is less than this much per whatever amount of flicker you have, or the blue light is gone. We've measured it on our measurement here. It's gone. So it's not there. It's easy to verify the absence of something, you know, whereas it's mm. much more difficult as we move forward in this industry into this area of improving people's health.
So for example, another example would be, you know, we were talking about it yesterday, Greg, the Nouveau stuff from Energy Focus, um, where they, you have active air disinfection. Right? So we have this system where it sucks up this um, thing and it kills bacteria. We're removing something. That's always so much easier to verify than these ideas that this is a more healthy building to live in. Is that because mm. um, daylight? Yes, I agree. There's no problem there. We're 100% on the same page with that one. I just get concerned when you know um, people are talking about productivity improvements or less sick days. And I'm just like, well, mm. how are we going to set up a, a verification of that return on investment post-project? And how, is it gonna, how are we going to avoid the traps of the confirmation bias, um, mm. the Gucci suit effect? You know what I'm saying, Ruth? Do you guys have you guys tackled yeah, that at I, all? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, this has come up a few times because I've had colleagues say to me, um, "Can you help me with this?" Um, let's say we're doing a pitch for a project. They'll say, "I want to tell them that lighting, you know, that that good lighting will help." Can you give me some, you know, some sources that tell me about, you know, how much it improves productivity? And I'm always like, "That's just too reductive. It's so." difficult especially in the world we live in now to measure productivity is extremely complex mm -hmm. because we're not we're not in we're not on a production line i mean some of us are but you know many of us are not in buildings so you can't measure output in those terms and then the other thing that i've personally reflected on with this is is the fact that when it comes to even the number of sick days for example as a metric it's fraught with uh, difficulty because that's got so many other contributing factors that have nothing to do with the lighting or even mm. the environmental conditions. So um, we know that the lighting might be great, but if there's a toxic work culture, then there's mm. going to be people not turning up and, you know, feeling, having even reduced immunity, you know, because of not feeling great and being stressed um, and vice versa. So, you know, I do find those things very difficult. Um, I, I know that attempts have been made to measure those things, but they they find that they, it's very difficult to isolate, you know, the individual components that are at play. Um, yeah. So and also even just things like furniture, um, you know, you can have great lighting, but if the if the chairs are uncomfortable, do you know what I mean? And it's yeah, really for sure. it's endless. It's actually yeah, endless. 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 Right. Yeah. It, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, when you hear about like there's more possible outcomes in chess than subatomic particles in the universe. It's one of those things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it looks like a simple chessboard, and but there's actually if you calculate all the different things, it's absolutely it's a it's um it's one of those things. It's like tic tac toe, and chess are the same game. They're both finite. Yeah. If everybody plays yeah. a perfect game, it should always end in a draw. But the, yeah. it's beyond human comprehension to understand. And so chess is, tic-tac-toe isn't. So tic-tac-toe yeah. almost always ends in a draw, whereas chess almost never does. Sometimes it does, but very yes. rarely. And so that's because it's beyond human comprehension. And I think where we're at with this health effects is really, there's so many factors that are beyond, that, that we can't even um, understand all the factors at play never mind measure anything. Do you agree with that, Ruth? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I'm reminded of someone whose work I really admire, um, Jennifer Veach, um, based in mm -hmm. Canada. Um, yep. She, she uh, years ago, she tried to um, create a model for what was going on, what the interactions are between some of these different elements with lighting, you know, being the, the core one. Um, and, and even then, I think, you know, I'm not saying that that wasn't, a useful piece of work because it certainly was and it moved the conversation on but i think that it highlights the fact that you could you could model the behavior in a particular building and model what contributes to people's decisions about whether they want more light or less light but even then you haven't taken into account the fact that each individual brings their own history so mm -hmm. their photic history but also their just their history you know, and we're, sure. we've got all kinds of things going on. Sure. You know, and there's so, cultural so differences to how we use yes. electric light for sure. Like Swedes and yeah. people from Pakistan completely use electric light differently. What would be interesting, yes. what I would like to see is um, how to put this the right way 
is is I think that the fundamental difference here is if there, if we're gonna have healthy lighting, it has to be a prescription. Like you can't give people the control and tell them that it's now gonna improve their circadian rhythm. Those two things don't go together, right? Either you're getting hit with that five thousand lux of whatever Kelvin, five thousand five hundred Kelvin at you know eight in the morning when you wake up, and then you're down to twenty two hundred Kelvin at nine o'clock at night, and there's no blue light, or it isn't. You understand what I mean? That you can't yeah. have it both ways. I would like to see you know two apartment buildings. This is quite common in Toronto where you have identical buildings. And they have lots mm-hmm. of people living it, so 500 families in each building or something like that. And you do one mm-hmm. with prescripted, this is how it's going to be, and you do the other one where you give them the control, very simple controls over their lighting, and then measure and see after if there's any, any benefits. Because to me, the problem comes in when we offer people controls over their lighting. They can tune it, they can dim it, they can do whatever they want with it, and then we're still claiming that there's... I'm going to say circadian rhythm benefits to that lighting. Mm, mm, that mm. can't happen if they can control mm. it. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it does. But let me just, so there's a few things in there. One of the things that is really difficult about this is that with medicine, you can say, I'm going to give this group the pill and I'm going to give them the placebo. And you know that they're as long as they're following your instructions, they're taking that that medicine at the same time every day or whatever it is for a period of time. But with light, we are, you know, we're, we're walking around consuming light in, in so many different ways. So it's more analogous to diet because we eat lots of different food and each mm-hmm. of us will eat different food on different days and depending on what we're doing, whether we're on holiday or at work. And light is like that. So we've got this incredibly dynamic mix of one day you wake up and you go out for a walk the next day you don't and the day after you go on on public transport and the day after that you go in a car so you know you're getting different light exposure both from daylight and artificial light the whole time um so that's why it's impossible to to create that that kind of almost uh vacuum where you can isolate everything else except the light and any work that's been done that has looked at the impact of light has only ever been able to do it short term because of that because of it being based in a lab so you know you're only able to measure say the impact on cognitive function within a two-hour period you know and those studies are really interesting but they can't always show the circadian benefit and and i know that there there have been other studies that have attempted to show the circadian benefit but ultimately um you you can't do it properly unless you tell the person to put like black out blackouts on their eyes and not have any other light you know exposure so it's really difficult it is really complicated i love the english word confounding it's what it is. Yes, you can't find yes. it. It's impossible to find. It's confounding, right? Mm. I love yeah. your analogy to diet as well because, there's, you know, when you talk to people that are passionate about a certain diet, you know, mm. it sounds a lot like lighting people, actually. You know, you could run into a vegan that tells you you're a murderer for eating meat. Then you run into a carnivore and he tells you you're an idiot for not meat. Like people get really passionate about it. And yeah. the fact is that, you know, hey, I eat, I eat vegetables and I eat meat, okay? So I'm, just, I'm with both yeah. of you halfway, okay? So yeah. um, it's kind of like with lighting. I think we need to avoid this. Um, the, I think we have to be very careful, especially as designers or, or distributors in making these kinds of positive claims. That's where I think it's. I'm okay. kind of going, you know, where... Mm. I, I think, you know, when I, when I was speaking with Jennifer Veach, she actually came in studio here to Get a Grip Studios because it's in Toronto. And yeah, um, we, we, we came up with the conclusion that humans are kind of like, f- with light, are kind of like fish figuring out they're in the water right now. You know what I'm saying? It's yes. like we don't even yes. really know what this radiant energy is. And yet we're deploying it in a manner that, you know, might work, might not work. We're kind of figuring out mm. things as we go along right now which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I, yeah, it is fascinating. And when we look back, I know we will recognize that we're right at the beginning. But 
On on the other side of that, I do think uh, one of the principles that I've tried to bring into play is do no harm. So I think as long as we're not hurting people by the lighting solutions that we implement, then that's something. So we can at least say we're not making things worse for you. We're not um, de uh, degrading your sleep quality. We're not, you know, making you feel um, socially jet lagged or, you know, whatever it is. Um, then I think we're we're on to something. It sounds like a very low bar to aim for that the lighting is harmless, but well, <laughs> I I'm think just trying... it, it does help us. Yeah. Greg signaled something to me, and I think where we should explore more, I, I, I do think you're 100% correct. We had a fellow on the show, and great guy, but he was talking about 2,000 lux vertically, well, because it matches the sun's Kelvin. And, like, there's a lot of assumptions in that that are like, have you ever been in a paint booth? That's where that kind of light level is, and you feel the pressure mm. of the light. It's a lot of light. It's not the same as being outside on the beach on a sunny day. It doesn't feel the same way. It feels like very intrusive. But you know mm. what I think, and I know Greg was pointing, he wants to bring it back to something, but I think what I, right now we're on the stretch of it. I think we should just handle it. I think cueing or the combination of general lighting and theatrical lighting is a very interesting place for us to go. Rather than worried about circadian rhythm, can we wake up people easier by starting at 2200 Kelvin at a dim level and then slowly raising that light level in the NICU wards or where the mothers are mm. with their babies so that people get woken up gentler? Can we tell them mm. to leave? You know, and this is what Andrea Wilkerson at PNNL has been discovering that we can mm. actually use these theatrical principles in daily life to tell people what to do. Mark Ray discovered this too with the, um, you know, sig uh, vertical orientation for old folks where they, you know, they get up in the middle of the night and a light comes on that's vertical that helps them stop yes. from falling, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And what you were saying about Andrea Wilkerson's work, that's also mm. really interesting. Um, and I do think one of the things that we have learned is that um, it's not as simple as uh, blue rich light, you know, makes you more alert because actually just an increased illuminance level makes you more alert. Mm. So it doesn't have to contain a particular spectrum because sometimes quantity can trump spectrum in terms mm. of how it affects you. So we certainly can play with just quantity, but I love the idea of using the theatrical tools because mm. that just works on lots of levels because it introduces a much more dynamic and playful kind of environment mm. which is which is something that's really attractive and it's something we try to do in our work you know some of the people in my team actually come from a theater lighting background and that makes their approach particularly refreshing because they often use those techniques without even realizing it um, and and with the controls that we've got now we can do so much more you know with that i i wonder do you think um, are they ready for that? Like, are hospital and healthcare settings ready for theatre? You know, well, here, I don't I totally, mean operating theatre. <laughs> well, here, here's what here's what was reported. So I don't know, remember exactly. They were trying to improve the circadian rhythm. I think that's what Andrea was doing. And then when she actually went and talked to the nurses, she says, we don't know anything about the circadian stuff you're talking about. But man, it sure is easier to go into the, the NICU ward or wherever the mothers and babies are. And everybody's already awake. And I don't have yeah, to wake yeah. people up from sleep and babies start crying. Everybody wakes up natural. And you know what else is really great? What's that? When you guys are dimming those lights at 8 o'clock and the light level changes the color and starts to dim down, people just leave. The visiting time ends on its own. People just say, hey, yeah, geez, yeah. you know, it's getting dark in here. I better get going. Yeah. And so by mm. doing this, they're cueing people. So they're actually waking up most of the people. They're signaling to mm. most of the people that it's time to go home. And yeah, that's, that... Uh, that that made me think of something really funny in the UK and Ireland. And I don't know whether you get this over there, but in, in a nightclub at the end of the night when they want to kick you out, they put mm -hmm. the lighting on really, really, really yeah, bright. Sure. So it's, it's kind of the same idea, but using a very different technique. And, and I think what's happening there is you make people feel uncomfortable because suddenly they can see everything that they couldn't see in, in the dim light. Well, it when doesn't I was look so pretty anymore. I <laughs> I was a bartender in Belfast. Okay. And, okay. Um, yeah. So okay, you have what seen would this. 
Yeah. So what happens is right at whatever it was, it was 11 if they didn't have live music and it was one if they had live music. I don't know what the live music thing was about, but they could stay open to one. So at like 10 to, to one, there's like the bar is packed and you're giving everybody, get as many in your lads now as you can. Get as many in. Give me four of those beers. Yeah, now. yeah. And they're br- yeah. going back to the tables. And then all of a sudden these bouncers in Belfast wearing bulletproof vests come running in the bar at one. You guys got to go right now. And I'm like, hey, guys. If you guys just stopped doing that, you probably have way less fights. And you wouldn't need the guys with the uh, the bulletproof vests on if you just shut it down at 1230. Because first yeah, of all, yeah. you have these guys that are throwing back four pints in five <laughs> minutes. And then they're being approached by a guy and being dragged out of the bar. Well, what do you expect is going to happen? you got a drunk it's guy. A perfect storm. Perfect yeah. storm, isn't Cue it? Him. Give him some That's... cueing. Start, start yeah. raising the lights yeah. slowly so everyone knows. Um yeah. yeah, so I think queuing is really an underexplored area with all this. Like what we could do. Yes. I even think the, the George Floyd riots and all that, a lot of people say, well, outdoor light makes safety. When you watch those videos where, they're, where it's happening at night, a lot of times you can see everything like daylight. And I wonder if yeah. that kind of maybe created the feeling like, oh, the cops need it so they can see everybody. But now everyone can see the cops too. Like it works both ways. Yeah. Right, if they yeah, were to just I, I, if they yeah. were to just dim it down and warm it, I wonder if it would have caused people to go home. You know, yeah, I, just I, I that. do you know what I think? I I bet you're right, and I wouldn't be surprised because light is such a powerful tool for these things mm-hmm. for 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 cueing social behaviour, and um, yeah, that's a really interesting point about the 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 lighting at night because that's something else that. I'm I'm starting to learn more and more about it's not my natural tendency because my background has focused on daylight and in, in uh, interior lighting but I've been learning more about um the impact of outdoor light at night on ecology mm-hmm. and um this idea that you light up an outside area to like daylight levels is just obscene it is in obscene. that That's regard the right word. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also uh, like, and then I, in terms of how it makes people feel, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's something new because all these cities would have been upgraded to those high brightness 5000 Kelvin uniform street light mm-hmm. levels in the last 5 years. So it's not something where you can compare in the past it would have been all high pressure sodium, mostly yeah. high pressure sodium, low Kelvin temperature, not as clear to see, a little more scary maybe at night. And now you have it like you know, 200 watt, 5,000 K light fixture every 40 feet, it's uniform. You can see everything. Maybe you can even see better than you can during the day. Who knows, I mean, right? in, some, in, in some parts of the UK, what they've done is they've done a direct swap from sodium to LED and the uniformity has actually suffered because they haven't thought about the distribution of the fitting that they've, mm-hmm. they've replaced it with. But yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I think there's a flatness to that. And mm-hmm. there's a kind of brut- brutality to it, mm-hmm. to the uh, high high color temperature at night. And the word that's coming to me is jarring because uh, psychologically mm-hmm. and in circadian terms, it's very disconcerting to find those that kind of light hitting you at nine o'clock at night or whatever whatever time of the night it is it, it's um, very unnatural and um, sometimes I wonder how much that contributes to people's feeling of unease um, so I agree with you and, and there's something very special actually about that kind of yellow light it has its obvious limitations color rendering's gone out the window but you know there is something quite special about it i i think i didn't realize how nice it was until i i had to live with the alternative and then i realized that it had a lot going for it and and now i understand that actually from a spectrum point of view it's probably a lot less harmful you know to to have something like sodium than it is to have um an led with a with a higher blue content mm-hmm. obviously it depends on the light levels of course i always but- I always yeah. try to like look at the opposite application and, and then in, kind of infer from there. So casinos have known how to disrupt people's circadian rhythm using lighting for decades and decades and decades. Mm. Right? They've yes. known this. You know, you go into a casino, there's a lot of vertical white light coming at you. They've known this for a long yeah. time. Okay. That's really, no yeah, clocks, it's a really good point. No mm. oxi- the oxygen, yeah. no clocks, and then a lot of vertical light in the windows. Right? So it's it puts you into this like hypnotic state, you know, but you're not slowing down you're speeding up which is interesting the other thing is like take prison yards there's a reason why prison yard is written up lit up like that right and so if you light the streets like a prison yard 
maybe you get people to act like prisoners. I don't know. I'm just saying that you can yeah, take an application yeah. and re- infer the and take it and apply it somewhere else and say, hey, is this having the same effect? If you do it in poorer neighborhoods, they tend to have more light, keyhole to keyhole, this idea in Chicago, Southside Chicago, we're going to light it up keyhole to keyhole. Well, Chicago is the most, South Chicago is the most violent area in America still to this day. And they got tons of artificial uh, electric lights down there. Maybe it's making the problem worse. Yeah, it's like CCTV. I mean, I've read a few times that the UK has the highest number of CCTV cameras in Europe. And yet, you know, it doesn't bear there isn't a direct proportional relationship with a reduction in crime at all. In fact, it might be the opposite. So I agree with you. And that's an interesting uh, analogy about the casinos, because I, I've been talking to someone about a, a potential conversion of a, a, a current casino to an office, um, because it turns out the casino isn't really doing it, working very well from a business point of view anymore. I don't know whether that's a global trend or not. Um, and uh, they want to reduce the casino and increase the office space. And um, the interesting thing, of course, is that all the windows that are there have been blocked up <laughs> because they don't want people to know what time it is. So you're absolutely right. And they do employ that classic technique of cut people off from daylight because that's a huge cue for understanding where we are in in time and even in space. So it's disorientating you in terms of where you are in this massive floor plan because you can't see the relationship between you and outside anymore. And um, yeah, it's a a great technique. I like that. You look at the opposite use and then you learn and, and yeah, and I also always thought that airports have op- operated in, in a similar way historically. Mm-hmm. They've employed the same techniques um, where people people kind of they want people to feel a bit disorientated because perhaps it's shown that they they'll just spend more money and buy more stuff in the shops. Yeah. The, well, you know what? The other thing I think that and if I may make a suggestion, we often talk about lighting, but darkness is a cue as well. And so yes. the idea that we're the lighting industry, I think, you know, we do a podcast called Starving for Darkness, Nailed sponsors it as well. I think we need to start thinking about as, as practitioners like yourself, uh, I wouldn't consider myself practitioner. I'm more of a light bulb slinger than anything else, but um, <laughs> I, like I, would, I would say that we, we should think of it as the lighting and darkness industry, like it, it, the, the practitioners, because when you're talking about casino, it's not that they can't see the light out the window it's that they can't see the dark they can't see yes that dark they can't outside. see any they can't see what it is whether it's light mm-hmm. or dark you're right mm-hmm. you're right and and actually a few months back when i became sll president i was talking about light and dark and about the fact that they are in tri- both very intrinsic parts of of health and how it's it's like you might get the, the light right during the day, but then if at night you have too much artificial light, you'll really mess that, you know, you'll just undo all the work. So it's the two sides of the coin. Absolutely. The so problem maybe is we, we can create on one and not the other. We can create one and we're yes. not the other. That's the problem. Well, we can create, we can create one, but we can also control it to uh, to, to create darkness we could we can be architects of dark of darkness because we can decide when to withdraw that light when to reduce it and when and when to not light you know and this is the thing that I think we're grappling with as an industry as well is you know just because you can light that thing should you should mm-hmm. you light it sure particularly when we're talking about outside but even when we're talking about inside a building when we're thinking about energy you know we really do have to ask ourselves just because you can light that thing and i'm sure you can make it look really beautiful there's no question about that but that's not enough anymore not in the world we live in now not in the climate crisis i think that's why we have to follow the queuing but i'll give it like that's where i think the queuing is really the the rosetta stone for the health effects um you know, where we get, if mm. we see what we can make people do, I hate to say that because the nudge units have kind of been very controversial in mm. the UK. You know, this idea mm. of, um, you know, I was reading about yeah. that in t- 2012 and I thought, I don't know if this is going to end well. You know, you have psychologists yeah. working for the government trying to, I don't know if that sounds so yeah. great. 
But anyway, if we yeah. can nudge people to do positive things for themselves, you know, leave the waiting room or wake up in the morning or whatever, I think it's something to follow the research down, Greg. I'm going to put it on. Yeah. I've stolen the podcast here, so i got to get it no, over to Greg. Good. <laughs> All good. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and you, I think Ruth, you were, you were just starting to, or you're kind of touching on it. And a lot of what you said before, I'm guessing is, but Orly's philosophy is a North star philosophy. Can you dive more into what that means? Yeah. So the North star is something we've just announced and it's really exciting, um, uh, manifesto, if you like, about what we want to do as a business. And it's because we recognize that, um, it's not enough to just, want to add value for our clients anymore. We we all as individuals want more meaning in our work. I think that's something that a lot of people around the world are experiencing now in in the post-pandemic world in particular. People are are, are looking at their their work and and sort of wanting to know that they're doing something that means something to them. We don't all have the luxury of being able to do that, but uh, at Horley, we're lucky enough to be able to do that, to be able to stop and look at what we're doing and understand how we can um, harness the meaning of it. And so uh, essentially what we're trying to do is um, create uh, the reason why we've called it North Star is because we want it to be a unifying goal for everybody who works there. Um, so it's something that you can always see, you know, as in the, the North Star, you know, something that you can always look up and see and that you can always connect with. And it helps you to orientate yourself. Um, and what we what we really want, the aspiration is that it helps us to um, to approach certain projects with a particular um, with particular values in mind. And it may also, we hope, shape the kind of work we do. And there are some difficult conversations there because the corollary of that is that it could um, cause us to not want to work on certain projects, to not want to work for certain clients. Um, we want our clients to be on the journey with us. So we want to um, we want them to understand at the outset that this is what's important to us. And we want there to be hopefully synergy between what we believe in and what our clients believe in. Um, and one of the key parts of all of that is is uh, net zero carbon. And most of our clients, if not all of them now, are, are asking us, how can how can you we need help? Can you please help us to reduce our carbon footprint? So that's what we really want to do. Uh, you know, bearing in mind that um, buildings account for the vast majority of um, of the uh, uh, CO2 production in the UK, we, we really want to be able to uh, take the opportunity that we have as engineers to, um, to, to reduce that. Um, I must emphasize as well that Horley you know, we are an engineering firm uh, and the vast majority of the people that work there are trained or have an engineering background. But we've also, uh, you know, in many of our um, areas of business, we are designers, we're people from um, product design backgrounds, theatre backgrounds. So in the lighting team, um, you know, for example, most of the people in the team are not engineers. Um, but you understand that the, the really the whole um, philosophy it is for everyone who works there, um, you know, regardless of their discipline, that the whole point is that we recognize that we have the power to uh, have a positive impact. I mean, I, in a way, it's it's kind of back to what you were saying about positive impacts being harder to measure. But we know we do know enough to know that we can make a difference here. So that's what we'd really like to do. Got two questions about that North Star policy. Mm. The first mm. one to me, it strikes me, it has to be a partnership between the company and the employee. So for me, like as an employer, um, when I'm training someone or whatever, you know, every job has a depth of meaning to it that's not seen on the surface. Like you have to get into your work. You have to find a way that books about work. There's like that, the, the, you have to find a way to get into the zone. And, and, you know, you see people, I love bartending. Why? Cause they get into a zone when the, they don't like a quiet bar. They like a busy bar. You know, when they're bartending, they like to be moving, mm. like to turn off their mind and dive into their work. And then that, and all of a sudden six hours goes by cause you're in that zone 
of optimal performance. And so that has to be a choice. Like, are you going to choose to get into this job? You know, it's almost like the GFK question, you know, ask not what your company can do for you, but what you can do for your company. You know, it almost comes down to that because you can make platitudes all you want, like Coralie could announce a North Star strategy. But if the people are not engaged, if the people are not choosing to to have that kind of employment experience, it's going to end up being a sort of a false. You got you guys have taken on a big thing there because yeah, it's like you have to get buy in from the people, and then you got to do some. You got to you got to get rid of the people that don't buy in because they're going to drag others down. You know, yeah, 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 perfect, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. And and there's something there that you've pointed out that is intrinsic in the policy and we've we've taken the bold step of saying we sometimes have to recognize that people who don't um share our beliefs are are not helping you know um so there is there are some difficult sort of questions that people have to ask themselves and we are asking a um quite a big commitment from our employees because we're asking them to believe in this um, and if people don't believe in it, then we're saying that, you know, maybe you don't want to be here, you know, and, and that's quite brutal. Um, but I think it's it, it comes from the fact that on by and large, we we feel that everybody really does uh, want to find this deeper level of of meaning to what we do. And they want to believe that as a company, that that's part of our overall objective that we're not just there as a profit making machine because you know and and i learned something um a few months back uh and i'm going to do it a terrible disservice because i don't know the theory very well but um it's about the why it's not about the what so um you know when you look at uh, in the world of business you sometimes see companies that have been extremely successful and when you delve into it you realize that they don't lead with what they do they lead with why they do it that's what they actually lead with it's not just about yeah we make you know this or we do that it's about we believe in you know this we we um you know what's important to us is this and what happens then is that it becomes a more collaborative environment where your clients or your customers um are share they're 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 just they're deci deciding to share in your belief with you by engaging with you so they're not just saying i need a thing and you make that thing it's it's a much deeper connection so it could be very rewarding for everybody um, you know, if it, as long as it, as long as it's, it works, which, you know, I share your belief that it's a challenge and we haven't, we haven't set ourselves an easy task and the key mm -hmm. to it will be engagement and making sure that everyone in the firm doesn't think that this is an empty, uh, an empty kind of marketing ploy. Cause mm -hmm. you know, I really, I really, really, really do not want that. And I want to make sure, you know, all of my concerns thus far have been around what does this really mean? So North Star looks great on paper, but what does mm -hmm. this really mean? How sure. is this going to translate into what we actually do? So, you know, just in the lighting team, in fact, yesterday we had a group call where we started to really delve into what the North Star is going to mean for us in our practice and how it's going to impact our day-to-day -day activities and the choices that we make. Well, it's interesting because um, you're talking about cult formation. I hate to say it that way, <laughs> okay? Yeah, like, but I mean, that, that's what you're talking about because now, like I'm a, I, I love, I was an English lit student and I love synonyms and antonyms because oftentimes, a synonym is not actually a synonym. Like envy and jealousy are opposites. They're not even close to the same thing. Like they're actually opposites. But if you look at for synonyms, it'll say jealousy, envy. They're actually completely opposite emotions, you know? And so there's admiration and, um, you know, uh, admiration and envy are synonyms. Okay, so admiration yeah. is very close to sin is very close to envy, and in fact, sometimes what looks like em en ad uh, admiration is actually cloaked envy. <laughs> you know, so but when you're yeah. looking at this, it's like 
cult formation. Like Greg always says, get a grip on lighting's a cult. We're starting a cult. Right? He always tells you that. You're starting a cult. People are joining the cult. Right? But, you know, so it has such a negative connotation. But I wonder what the, you know, what the opposite of a cult is. And, but they're actually very, very similar. Just one is not designed to fuel the ego of Ruth Kelly Waskett. It's actually to help the individual, right? That's working with you. Yes. And so that would be the fundamental difference. But the structure of it and how to create it is the same thing. Ruth's trying to start a cult, Greg. <laughs> well, does the word cult wow. come from culture? Like, that's the only No, I don't think it does. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. I do think that there's a connection between the word cult and the word culture. And culture is something that has come to my mind so many times when we've been uh, talking about the North Star at Horley, because um, culture is the key to this. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. The word cult has so many negative connotations. I really want to move away from that very quickly. But perhaps there's a there's an emphasis on um, the positive, the, the positive um, side of, of it. And I mean, the closest thing that I can think of uh, to kind of the positive version of a cult is a spiritual movement. Um, and obviously what we're talking about here doesn't involve um, belief in higher powers or mm. um, other kind of metaphysical dimensions. Um, but what it does do is it, it does create a common purpose, which, which does have um, echoes of, of many religious movements. But we're certainly, we're not trying to override people's individual beliefs. And in fact, the policy has been formulated to try and capture the beliefs that we believe people already have in the firm um, and the things that we think are already important to people that have even brought them to the firm in the first place. So hopefully that's what we're actually trying to do is capture um, capture the, the beliefs of of the, the vast majority of people, um, and uh, we can't. We, we certainly don't want to create um, lots of people that have exactly the same beliefs because that would be really, really boring as well. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, we want we want diversity of thought. Um, so you know, it's really important that we have lots of different perspectives. But we can, I think, we can achieve that while still having a common purpose to what we do. Very good. Uh, one last question I had. Um, the Society of Light and Lighting, what exactly is mm. it? Yeah, so um, I think you touched on it earlier uh, in my bio. So the Society of Light and Lighting is part of SIBSI, um, which is a chartered institution. Um, but the Society of Light and Lighting in particular has a very interesting history because it used to be the Illuminating Engineering Society of the UK. And of course, we've got the Illuminating Engineering Society of North America as well. So that, that my, my quickest answer is think of IESNA and it's a bit like the equivalent of that in the UK. Um, there are some differences, though, because the SLL is because it's part of this bigger um, institution. Uh, it, it, that institution has charitable status as well. So it's it's a you know a, it not only not not for profit, but it also has charitable aims, and those aims are around increasing awareness of light and the important the importance of light um, for anyone who's interested. So um, we are a membership organisation, but we we also intend to reach as many people as we can. To help them understand um, the importance of light. And that's so just being... in the UK, or is it? Uh, it is a UK-based. Uh, it is okay. a UK-based organisation, but we do have regional representation around the world, um, mainly in um, uh, countries that have uh, sort of quite strong links with the UK. Sometimes because of um, you know former colonies. So we have um, a branch in Australia and New Zealand. We have a branch in Hong Kong. We have a branch in Ireland. Um, we're always considering new branches as well, wherever we feel that there's a, a, an appetite for it. What's the, is that, so are you in a volunteer role as president of the SLL? Yes, it is. It is a volunteer role. And I mean, it's, in fairness, it has to, um, 
it's contingent on my employer being okay with it. So, you know, mm. luckily Horley are really happy for me to to have mm. this role this year. Um, and I've been, been a vice president at SLL for um, four years. So it, it's not like you just suddenly, be, you know, you sort of switch on your commitment and then switch it off again. It's very much a, a something that's been going on kind of gradually increasing over a period of years. So, uh, we're, we, we, Greg limits the shows now, so we're not supposed to go past an hour, but I really want to have you on again to talk more about daylighting and some of the, I think we, I think we're just starting to get to know each other from that panel we did, of course, the Rico light panal. Yes. I, 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 I was listening to you on that and we had bantered a little bit during the, the actual, um, moderated session. And so I was like, we have to talk to. Ruth, and then so I'd like to have you on again if you if you would agree to that down the road. A couple. I'd love that. I'd love that, okay, Michael. Great. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. That'd so I think we have yeah, I feel more. like we've just scratched the surface, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also want to talk more about SLL and and um, you know I just feel like there's um, you know the, this darkness initiative that the Nailed Board started last year in on inside the industry. So there's obviously the IDAs out there, but Nailed has really been pushing this idea of darkness restoration and preservation. And, um, it's really, yeah, I think it's creating traction, Greg. And so, um, you know, I'd like to talk to you guys more about that and a whole bunch of other things, but do you have any final thoughts? I'd love thoughts? to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah, I mean, my final thought, I suppose, is, um, one of the things that I'm, my current obsession is how do we, how do we let the general public know how to make healthy choices with light? So it's one of the things that I kind of identified in my presidential address when when I became SLL president. And um, it's a conundrum because I think mm -hmm. without a huge marketing machine, it's actually quite difficult to create um, a message. And, and I'm very interested in organizations such as SLL because we're impartial, because we're not particularly... Uh, we don't have an agenda uh, around um, selling anything or, 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 you know, anything commercial. We have a great opportunity to to give a kind of an unfiltered message mm -hmm. to the public about, about how they can make better choices or healthy, healthy choices. Um, and I keep drawing the analogy with food. So that's my, um, I guess, my parting thought is about, you know, can we make a successful campaign a bit like five a day or you know um don't mm. eat too much sugar can can we do that with light is it is it possible i would say we can do it with darkness um if we if we just change the conversation to that i think it's so important that that we have darkness but greg we're at the end here uh we got to go to led-llc.com brother for light efficient design so creative those guys what are they talking about today I can't even remember, I'm still hypnotized out. by Ruth in her cult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joining. <laughs> the, uh, the LVI linear transformer, one light, unlimited possibilities, two oh, foot, yeah. three foot, four foot length, flex color, flex watt, dimmable, connects end to end, real easy, power in one end, connect it, run a continuous row, easy to go, retrofit or new fixture, get after it. You know, light efficient design folks is always cooking up great products go to their website right now there's there's so many cool things that those guys have for a host of different applications if you're trying to solve problems out there so go to led-llc.com that's right proud members of the national association of innovative lighting distributors that's right naald.org join us now get educated get associated serve your industry that's right we're not offering you any paybacks you're gonna join nailed you're gonna pay nailed because you want to serve the industry because the industry needs you sucker that's right. So go to naild.org. And if you made it to the end here, I know I speak on behalf of Greg and Ruth and Scott, the producer, and everybody else at Nailed. Hey, thanks for listening. We love you guys. Bye for now.